This is Anubhava, a podcast for art, science, and philosophy, exploring our relationship to everyday experiences between the mind, body, and environment. Anubhava is a Sanskrit word translated to experience that is vital to examine the everydayness of things in themselves. This word has the potential to bridge huge gaps in continental and eastern phenomenology in our conscious understanding of knowledge emerging from embodied cognition. You are listening to the first episode of Anubhava. I am Shashank Satish, the principal investigator of the XPC or Experiential Cognition Lab, currently based out of Bangalore, practicing at the limits, horizons and possibilities of accounting for plural everyday experiences in art science and consciousness research. Today, we are going to listen to conversations about creative blocks between subjective and objective fields of work and personal experiences between scientists and artists. As the artist and moderator on board for the Lab Culture panel discussion, I would be lying if I said there wasn't a fair share of angst and amusement in the atmosphere when the hard questions of subjectivity were raised in the open public landscapes at the edges of art and science practices amid subjective and objective inquiries embodied in the Indian context of art science. Here's a clip from the panel discussion on creativity in conversation with scientists from the National Center for Biological Sciences or NCBS in Bangalore, November 2019. It was about um, STEM versus STEAM and uh, interaction between art and science through the exhibition. And so next we felt that it would be interesting to hear how the scientists uh, would unravel their experience of trying to be creative through Lab Culture One. Um, the two moderators uh, today are Shashi uh, Tutupali and Shashank Satish. Uh, reader at NCBS, Dr. Shashi's laboratory is an interdisciplinary group combining experimental and theoretical techniques drawn from physics, engineering and biology. The lab aims for a broad understanding of the origins and organization of living systems. Thank you, Sashi, for agreeing to do this. Can we have you here? And uh, Shashang, trained in architecture and experimental media arts, he sees the world as interwoven context of physical and metaphysical realities constructed around our everydayness of lived experiences. Shashank is also the artist in collaboration for Lab Culture 2. So, thank you, Shashank, for moderating this conversation. And from here on, uh, they'll introduce the other speakers and take over the conversation. Thank you. I want to start off by uh, saying we now know enough to know that we will never know everything. This is why we need art. It teaches us how to live with mystery. I will sort of fall back on this uh, text from this book called uh, The Laboratory Life, The Construction of Scientific Facts. And this is an anthropological study of a lab at Sark Institute in California, the US. And it's written by Bruno Latour and Steve Wugler. Um, and they describe the lab as the correspondence between a particular group network or laboratory and 
complex mixture of beliefs, habits, analogies and how uh, systematized knowledge, exemplary achievements, experimental practices, oral traditions and craft skills. Although referred to as culture in anthropology, this set of attributes commonly subsumed under the term paradigm when applied to people calling them scientists. So uh, this I thought was an interesting mix of varied beliefs, interests and the kind of people working at each one of the labs and um, wonderful to be uh, having this conversation with as many scientists and the conversations we have had before were very uh, energizing and like it, it can shake your core beliefs because we come from an artistic perspective and they come from a scientific perspective and the conversations can get really interesting. The premise of the talk is uh, the notion of culture. Is all science a cultural creation? Then why is over-specialization hard to look back from? And we are also looking at this uh, idea of anything simply said is an understanding of how well the person knows a complex understanding of whatever truth he or she is looking at. So uh, if I can just pass the mic around uh, to Sanjay and then uh, henceforth from there, if you could just introduce yourself and tell what your lab is looking at and uh, briefly your interest there in, within the lab. Thanks. And there's another mic there. Yeah. I'll just pass. Yeah. Uh, I'm Sanjay Sane. Uh, I'm a PI, a principal investigator here. And my lab studies how insects fly. Uh, and we are also interested in how insects collectively build structures. Um, when I say we study how insects fly, that question is very complex, uh, as we are discovering and have been discovering for several decades. Uh, we study all aspects of it, from physics to neurobiology to now trying to take it out more in the field and looking at how insects um, survive out in the field. So that's mainly what my lab works on. Uh, hi, I'm Varsha. I'm a PhD student in Dr. Raj Lada's lab. Our lab is interested in studying inner ear development. So the major inspiration for our lab um, can be patterns. Um, few of my lab mates are interested in looking at how the patterns actually form and why they form. Um, so those are some interesting questions we are trying to answer. And yeah, our lab is like a very big scientific family. We are looking at different aspects of inner ear development starting from early ages so we use chick and mouse embryos to study in your development. Hi, I'm Charu Hansini and I work with uh, Shashi Tutupalli. I'm a PhD student uh, in his lab. Um, there, there's not a single theme uh, that we work on in our lab. I study how cells survive freezing um, and I'm interested in this because um, I can sort of ask questions about the differences between life and death through this. Um, many other people in the lab study metabolism, origin of life and uh, reaction kinetics in um, different conditions like in cells or other biological contexts. Okay. Hi, my name is Dhara Mehrodra. I was uh, part of the Artist in Residence Outreach Program at NCBS last year, 2018, and uh, concluded 
the exhibition at the NCBS Museum in March this year. And uh, my, uh, I am a pure artist coming from an entire art background. My work inspired, is always inspired by nature. And I've had different contexts of nature represented in my work so far. And here I am working with uh, the clusters and networks. Clusters and networks has been a general body of work for me. Uh, it's a larger canopy in which most of the work of mine falls. And uh, in particularly networks, I was working with um, the mycelial networks, which connect the roots of the trees in sort of a communication system and um, form some very interesting patterns. And that's what I collaborated with several labs at NCBS, including Shashis and Sanjay's, uh, to understand more the idea of networks and then represent it in a non-artistic fashion. So, yeah, that's... That's what my relationship with NCBS has been. Hello, everyone. I'm Suraj from Dr. Raj Ladis lab. Uh, lab. As uh, Avarsha has already mentioned, we work on inner ear development, and I specifically work on hair cells that are found in the cochlea, important for the hearing. Right. Uh, so I look at the morphogenesis of the cells uh, uh, from early stages to the later stages, and I use mouse as my model. Hi, uh, my name is Rishav. Uh, I'm a PhD student uh, working in Professor Geti Hassan's lab. Uh, our lab is interested in looking at molecules that regulate um, how neurons in the fly brain talk to each other. Uh, so we use Drosophila as a model organism to uh, investigate signaling mechanisms that allow cells to talk to each other, form a functional circuit that enable uh, them to perform complex behavioral tasks such as flight. Thanks. You want to say something about your lab? Uh, yeah, I guess so. I mean, I, I guess Charu summed it up uh, fairly well. We don't have one one theme because uh, we tend to be interested uh, without restriction almost about everything. Uh, but that said, uh, there are a finite number of things that one can do. Uh, and one of the questions that we are asking is about how life might have originated and trying to create scenarios to study these uh, situations uh, and also situations which might separate uh, the living state from the non-living state uh, uh, like death or dormancy and things like this yeah so it's a it's a it's a motley crew uh, of both people and problems in my life yeah great thanks <coughs> thanks I would like to wrap up uh, Andrew Ross's uh, questions. Who is qualified to critique science? Is it like the people from the humanities or is it people from within science? And that's where I feel this engagement of artists coming in and sort of critiquing the scientific method, not, not necessarily critiquing, rather he puts it in a beautiful way that how can science qualify us to sustain a critical view of the society? not purely looking just deep within science but society as larger context because it's all rooted in objectivity it's easier to critique it like that and that's why since art is ambiguous it's uh, easier for us to get away with the things that we want to say and uh, through my practice I also involved myself in the science and, and my a turning point in my practice came from when I was looking at 
uh, science. Uh, I have a deep interest in the cognitive science, and uh, uh, it sort of turned out when I was reading the book that Varela wrote on cognition. It, it's a book called Embodied Mind, and uh, there, this this is something that hit me really hard because it talks about experiences and both artists scientists and everyday people like everyone else like have experiences and and this is something i found really striking and and that has sort of pulled me into the sciences more like as like this responsibility to look at science from the outside and and sort of question it because um, if you look at the argument that varela and others make in that book it's uh, experiences everyday lived experiences is something uh, we all go through every day but it, which is not studied right w what we study is something that's put under the microscope something that is studied under a two photon microscope for example <laughs> these are terms i've just been learning interacting with the labs but uh, they are say you, you take an fmri scan of a brain and and study what the brain looks at so one of my artworks previously looked at how uh, experiences are discounted in science. Like the conversations we are having now as scientists and artists are not anywhere to be involved academically, right? So that really interests me and, and what I did was sort of to look at the aesthetic of brain imagery and how it's a frozen, it's a still image that, you know, scientists delve deep into and sort of get into the nitty gritties of that frozen image. But my sort of perspective on that was, okay, our minds never stop functioning. It's never in that one static movement. It's constantly thinking. It's con We're all conscious beings and it's never in that one state of being. So how as an artist can I question this whole big gap of, you know, experiencing the everyday and sort of trying to bridge the gap with an art intervention. So I had made this uh, whole dynamic uh, brain imagery with, say, smokes and lasers and uh, moving projections and, and things like that. And this is how I respond to the sort of things that, you know, say, uh, this is how I would critique science from an artistic perspective. And this just generates dialogue. And, and that is more important to me because art at the end of the day is very ambiguous and it's something that makes you question about something. There, there might be, I mean, it, all art is again subjective and there, there are artists who paint landscapes and there are artists who make very moving images that just makes you cry. So it's, you, can't, you can't really uh, question like the artistic process of different artists, but like the art which makes you move and uh, like emote and experience life uh, in, in, in the everydayness of it is what I'm interested in. We heard a lot about truth and beauty, right? We heard those uh, being brought up. And there is a wonderful lecture by Subramanian uh, Chandrasekhar on truth and beauty. Some of you might have read it. I would like to actually go to each of the panelists, especially the scientists, and ask each of them to narrate from their personal experience something about science which they found beautiful and what about science is beautiful? Okay, uh, so uh, the structure that we study itself is beautiful 
I mean, if uh, as he was mentioning about uh, different kinds of microscope that we have to look into uh, uh, the structures and understand about it. So when we start looking at uh, uh, start looking at a cell under the microscope, it itself is inspirational because it's, it's beauty. It's there is a pattern to it, there is a uniformity to it. In some cases, it's not, but uh, in the cells that I study, there is uniformity in it, and that that's the thing that uh, keeps me going. I mean, I'm looking at things which are not, uh, uh, which are so small, which is not uh, visible to your naked eye. And that's something uh, that uh, I like to uh, see. And then I look around and see, oh, okay, oh, wait, uh, these are the structures that I saw in my cells. I mean, I kind of draw parallels to it. But then it's not scientific to uh, compare these two. But uh, this is the science and the art aspect of uh, what we, uh, I mean, go through. So the personal experience is daily work. That's what we are here for. I mean, yeah, that's what, that's why we came here. Right. So uh, I would say that um, uh, what I find beautiful is not um, the, a certain uh, observation that I have, but uh, the journey that one undergoes to reach that particular observation. So science is a lot about uh, framing a hypothesis and, and then finding ways to test that hypothesis. So it's, it's a flow of logic that one follows and uh, one makes empirical observations and then uses those observations to, to weigh whether the hypothesis makes sense or not. And I find uh, that to be the most beautiful aspect about, uh, about science that, that I can think of. Uh, yeah, so I uh, see a lot of things going on in the cell. And then I freeze it, and then everything stops moving around. And I find it really fascinating when I thaw it, and uh, these things start moving again. And the cell uh, divides, and you can see that this keeps continuing. Uh, so I find it beautiful that I can do whatever I want to the cell, but it continues to strive to live and move and do the things that we term life. Um, so as I said, I, I, I'm interested in developmental biology. And uh, embryology has been around for centuries. And people, uh, I, I think of embryology as an art because that's how people started looking into embryos. So uh, first they started observing embryos and then in order to understand them, they started manipulating them. So uh, they, they created nothing short of an artwork where they would transplant tissue from one organism to another organism. Uh, so this, the other organism, they are just different in color. So, and then they would uh, trace how, what the cells became. So that was um, that is kind of very inspirational to me. I I see embryology more of an as an art than actually science, and that's what. Uh, I, I think a lot's been said already about the aesthetic pleasure of uh, uh, working in science, but uh, I want to put forth the idea that maybe where science and art meet is in mathematics, and. The fact that so many things around us are patterned, are uh, you know, follow a certain predetermined structure that we respond to as uh, as human beings. Maybe what we are responding to is the, the geometric simplicity of it, or the elegance. I think is a better word uh, of it. Uh, 
because mathematics also encodes logic in a very wonderful ways so you don't have to think messily about various causal relationships but it just sort of you do the math and you get the answer and that allows us to think through science but in a in a language that is not i i mean i don't I'm, i don't think of maths as science the maths is a is a language that we use to codify logic but there's a certain elegance to it and and it's really beautiful when it works uh, and, and maths always works and that's why it, uh, you know it, it holds i think a certain sense of beauty for us so i mean i i think that's where we need to look uh, more carefully if we want to explore why we find it beautiful so there there's a wonderful public lecture by the physicist Sirak in 1932 they touches upon exactly that that somehow the the fundamental laws of physics seem to follow beautiful mathematics can you comment on that so it doesn't seem like it's so remote after all i think that's true across the board uh, you know not just fundamental laws pretty much anything that we are looking at uh, you know it, it's it's not surprising that we use the language of mathematics i think that whatever happened somewhere in the renaissance where somebody figured out that you know we could think of uh these complex thoughts uh which you know the way limiting if you went the aristotelian way but somewhere along the way they figured no if you put this in form of equations then you could actually uh you know you didn't have to explicitly think about everything uh and i think if you look at some of the early philosophers they tried to apply this method to everything the axiomatic approach to everything you know uh galileo used it uh, spinoza used it for ethics and religion and things like that uh descartes used it and if you follow the works of these people you realize that they were trying actually to use mathematics to understand uh all aspects and in some cases it worked and in some cases it did work and maybe if it would work with religion would be living in a very different world and not such an irrational and illogical world but at et- you know about ethics and politics and uh just about every aspect of it which touched upon they tried um and i think scientists succeeded went further with it uh but think it would be worth going back and exploring how one could apply mathematics in these other walks of life uh, sir i am not a scientist but i still love to answer your question uh, my biggest biggest take away from all my scientific interactions at ncbs was the idea of self organization in nature the beauty of self organization in nature i use the word beauty more loosely than perhaps scientists but uh, well <laughs> that's the baggage i carry um and uh, just just to be aware and understand and see it with evidence how each cell is aware what it's supposed to do the it's it's pre-programmed as if uh, what its destiny is going to be and how this whole thing works exactly the way it works and this is all self organization thank you yes uh, yeah, yeah.
Yeah. So uh, I would also like to just uh, point out the fact that I really do, do agree with uh, Shashi when he points out the fact that uh, what is beautiful about science, one of the most beautiful things about it is the objective, the fact that uh, there are certain truths about uh, experiments that we do which hold up to scrutiny uh, regardless of time and space. And uh, I think that truth sort of, again, has been reached from art if I consider poetry to be art. So, for instance, when Keats writes, truth is beauty and beauty truth. So, in, in that respect, I think that um, even people from the arts have realized that there is a beauty to be associated with uh, truth. And and if you consider truth to be something which can be agreed upon by, by uh, several people. Now, coming to the point uh, with regard to um, blocks, creative blocks, I think that uh, as scientists, uh, as we uh, undertake this this journey to to try and figure out um, either either to uh, explore or to figure out the mechanisms that that explain how things work, um, we do acquire certain skills that that equip us and empower empower us to um, figure out solutions to to a, a problem once a methodology is not working and I think that that is when um, tools such as mathematics uh, as Sanjay pointed out uh, is, is, is a huge asset to have because you can use that to troubleshoot things as, as you call it as we call it in the field and um, creative solutions do indeed come about and I, I think that, that that's way more important right at the beginning when you're thinking about ways uh, that that you can undertake to solve a particular problem but once you do embark on that journey then it's m more of uh, uh, scientific rigor that comes in when when certain techniques don't work uh, you find solutions in a very systematic manner yeah uh, so uh, in this regard I have a personal question a personal answer and a professional one so Sorry. So uh, the thing is that uh, it's in a lab, it's a lab, right? It's a lab. There is a collective effort to it, yeah? So uh, we have uh, lab meets where whenever we hit a block, there are other blokes who are right uh, hitting back at you, telling you, oh, do you think about that? Do you think about this? So uh, that helps us in a professional, in professional capacity. But when you go home, you don't find those same blokes, okay? What happens next is you're uh, left alone. So that time you go back, uh, look uh, at the recent experiments that you did, and as Rishav pointed out, we have to do it it's in a methodical manner. So we look we uh, look at the methods themselves and see if uh, there are some problems with the methodology itself. So it's a two-pronged thing, I would say. Very well said. Um, creative block, yes, that is something which we all experience um, quite often. Uh, as an artist in, an, in my studio, I try and deal with it in two ways. Uh, one is when I am stuck with either a material or the way it's coming out. It's uh, The reason I'm stuck is because I am seeing the final product. I'm expecting the final product and I'm, uh, there's a fear of spoiling that comes and which is why I'm stuck because I don't want to spoil it. So my first way to deal with it is to keep that aside and try as many, 5, 10, maybe more, 15, 20 different ways to achieve the same thing in different ways, in different mediums, where, which is not my final work, which is my rough work, so I don't have a fear of spoiling. And most often a good answer or a good solution 
resurfaces itself from it so that's been my experience so far to so just try and shed the fear of spoiling let it spoil never mind you'll still perhaps end up learning something but i don't do that to my main work i start another few experiments to it another way is uh which is i mean which is again as is a personal way which i do i just leave it be and just go to sleep and let in time the answer sink in itself no matter what time it takes thank you so when i experience creative blocks i do many things um i basically try to get perspectives from many different people or many different environments uh for example i talk to different people in my lab and uh our lab has physicists mathematicians computer scientists biologists and every field you can think of um and that helps because they come with different perspectives but i also talk to people who don't engage in science at all the way i do uh like uh someone uh like a software engineer my parents or they have nothing to do with science on a daily basis or little kids uh and i like to hear their perspectives on what they think about uh what i'm trying to understand or what the cell um might be doing in order to survive freezing uh and that's how i sort of uh, go around these blocks to uh have a different perspective on them and another thing that i try to do is um to um turn the problem upside down or um turn it into something else like if i'm trying to understand what the cell is doing i try to think what would uh, a collection of humans say do if they want to get it on something um or what would a huge organism do uh, in this scenario um so there is the scientific way that rishabh pointed out that's like obviously the first thing you do and uh, the second thing that uh, i would do is try to explain my story to someone um who just understands enough science but does not know anything about my area so um they so they have this uh, ability to ask questions and doubts and those are the things that i'm actually looking for so those are the directions that i would have missed because i know a little more than what they do and that helps me a lot and third one is going back to my hobbies to clear my head and yes once i i put myself into my hobby i sketch so when i do that the only thing that i'm thinking about is my sketching and by the end of it my head is clear and i i get a good way to think so do you also want to comment about the subjectivity that the pi brings versus the objectivity that you seek in the science the question that you ask which is you know does does the perspective of your pi constrain your i guess that's something i'm very curious to hear so uh, to answer it with respect to my pi uh, so my pi is pretty chilled out so <laughs> when uh, no he is seriously chilled out so when we go there uh, when when i go to him with ideas he would uh, so there are I mean there are two outcomes either the idea is just stupid or the idea, <laughs> or the idea is not feasible in the current lab setting so he would but he would not tell that directly uh he would first ask me why i came up with the idea the reason behind um uh, my you know my curiosity in this field and he would 
uh, he would uh, first if there is a flaw he would point out the flaw and then he would uh, suggest an alternative uh, way of answering my question and if there is no flaw he would actually let me do whatever i like close your eyes so like she said my pi is also pretty chill out <laughs> uh but <laughs> uh but on a more serious note um i think uh his perspectives do affect my perspectives sometimes but um he allows me to have my own perspectives like me uh to take um the question in any direction that i would want to take it um and he's very supportive of uh the questions that i want to go after Uh, just before the question i want sanjay to answer the question on creative blogs and also this larger question of you know the subjectivity of the pi's please um our creative blogs i, th- I think as and when they occur uh, there are few things one does naturally one is to go back one is to go back to the basics uh and and restart from there uh the second is to discuss uh your problem with your lab mates um you know gossip about it a little bit and uh, out of the discussion uh something nice comes out and this often happens in lab meetings but over coffee tables or everything if that doesn't work find a friend or anybody get them drunk <laughs> and chat you know about it and usually it that helps because you 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 can really kind of um dwell over what it is and i think many times the solution to that is within you uh, it's never going to come out from anyone else um but it helps to discuss and then eventually get to the bottom of whatever it is that's causing the problem um about uh, subjectivity actually the there are many ways of looking at subjectivity and i think many of them have come out the one that i'm really interested in uh is not necessarily what the pi does or what the student does as much as the fact that each person that pursues science or any field for that matter has a very unique history um you know they they come from a particular place and they they have sort of had many different influences along the way and so much of science happens in lateral thinking in making connections between something that you've experienced before to something that you're doing now and a lot of the most kind of creative ideas come from that kind of uh, lateral thinking and that lateral thinking is extraordinarily subjective because you know it for instance shashi me to some extent you know have had in a different distant past been physics shashimo presently but me for the back and uh and we've you know we've learned a bunch of things there that may not be immediately relevant to our day to day work certainly in my case but we keep drawing from there now somebody else who studies the same thing that i do 
might have had a background as a biochemist and they would be looking at the same problem and they would be you know coming to an entirely different set of connections and you know looking at the same thing in a very different way and i think that's where you know the real sort of fun happens is in being able to look at the unique histories of each person and and you know that's what led to that thought at that time and i think if you go through the lives of great scientists you will find that this is a feature that just constantly appears uh, is the fact that they were they, they were thinking that thought at that time because they had this interesting background so see do you want to take that like comment on that because you also have like a physics background and you work in a purely biological setting here at NCBS Right, and and uh, also how that played out in lab cultures one exhibition if possible if you can comment and tie that up a bit i see okay that yeah i, I mean I, i completely agree with what sanjay said in terms of bringing these different ways of looking at scientific problems um and in terms of lab cultures one maybe that's maybe that's something that uh, i can make a comment about um is that uh, indeed very often i personally seek uh, inspiration from from art um and uh, uh not only for my science to inspire art but i really actively seek for the opportunity for the art to inspire or even inform or create metaphors for understanding my own science um right and a good example for something like this is uh, is uh, the painting of of the great wave uh, uh showing these swirls of turbulence you know and that indeed is one of the best ways that we can uh, describe uh, turbulence in in any deep meaningful way right uh, and it's that what i seek and that's what i was uh, really hoping for uh, through lab cultures one uh, that you know there would be this sort of back and forth between the artist and the scientist and, and so on and it's it's the start and uh i really uh, hope that you know this is what all of this is going to enable lab cultures 2 and 3 and whatever else so much so that it's just an art science culture right rather than a lab culture yeah so yeah so i mean it's not really a you know sort of a thing about me or the pi so, it's sort of a broader question i guess that he's asking is that do you see that for example when you enter a lab with its viewpoint do you do you find that your own vision for questioning or your own vision for the scientific pursuit is affected or restricted or empowered or whatever uh, by that i i guess that it's not really a statement about the personality or you know i guess um, that's that's what one would really like to hear it really helps so it empowers us so uh, if you have more people uh, chipping in uh, uh, to whatever you are doing so you get their perspectives as well right so uh, it's uh, then it then it becomes more subjective because you're getting uh, inputs from a lot of people not from one person yeah so uh, being in a lab helps if you were alone then uh, you would be limited by your own perception 
right? And then your subjectivity would uh, come in. But if you if there is a collection of people, then uh, there are less chances that your subjectivity uh, may be uh, hindering the process because you have more people who are there to critique or uh, kind of support you in your uh, ideas. So I think uh, one of the incredible things about doing a PhD uh, at an institute um, such as NCBS is the fact that you know uh, whether consciously as well as subconsciously you undergo a process of uh, of growth, which you I'm I'm sure all of us uh, um, are very different from very different persons from from the people who we were when we came in, and uh, I think over the multiple interactions that we have with not just our PIs but but even the simple fact that you you read several papers and. You, you get you get exposed to mechanisms of thought and logic that you previously weren't exposed to, and that gets synthesized. And I think that uh, uh, there are multiple ways uh, to use a mountaineering analogy because uh, that's something that I'm very interested in. I mean, there are several routes up the wall, right? And and there's no one correct way or incorrect way. It's just that I think that there is a great deal of wonder and beauty that sort of propels you forward and. And you you find the hold that's closest to you, and I think logically that makes a lot of sense because both of you are equally invested, ideally, in trying to get ahead or to to solve a problem or or to understand something in in, in make more sense of something. And I think that subjectivity from both ends uh, is equally important. And I think no one in their right minds would disagree with uh, an alternative subjective opinion if that enhances an objective understanding of, of what you're trying to Wonderful. understand. That's a great view on. Thinking about aesthetics and beauty and things like that, I think most of us came into science because we were awestruck by the aesthetic beauty. Like when I started learning science in school, we used to see chemical reactions, we used to see color changes. I think that's what really gave me that initial fascination. I mean, you look at biology, when you look at structures and how things are organized and how different processes happen within a cell, within a biological system, you start to think about what can, start think about the mechanisms behind such phenomena, such phenomena, and that is what brings you here. So it is for most of us, it is aesthetics that has brought us to science. It is art that has brought us to science. And the second thing is that sometimes, as scientists, a sort of involvement in art can improve our uh, the way we look at science. For example, I am a I, am, I study biology, and I am also into art. I dance. I sing. So I feel that uh, being an artist, involved, being involved in any art form, like whether it's fine arts or uh, whether it's fine arts or performing arts, it really gives you a different. It it makes you approach things in a different way. For example, when I see a motor protein walking on a microtube, you see how rhythmic it is, just like our, just like uh, a dance sequence. So these are things that really like inspire. What is the role of art science as an emerging field in contributing to the expanding inquiries and practices of consciousness research situated between cognitive science and phenomenology? How does the Experiential Cognition Lab 
attempt to experiment with the hard questions of qualia and consciousness? To unlock these hard questions, we need wider public participation in nurturing a scientific temper and need ready-made knowledge available in the public domain when we talk about art and phenomenology in the context of Indian and continental schools of philosophy. This podcast is an attempt to build transdisciplinary bridges exploring nuances and roles of experience in the first, second and third person perspectives as evident in the Experiential Cognition Lab Manifesto. To find out more, subscribe to the XPC Lab podcast Anubhava. You can now listen to new episodes here at XPC Lab online on Anchor, Spotify and SoundCloud. You can find links to all of this and more in the podcast description. This show is produced by Holy Cow Studio. Visit holycowstudio.in slash home slash xpc-lab for more information. We are on Instagram at xpc.laboratory. Thanks for listening. I'm Shashank Satish for the XPC Lab and I will be back next time for another episode in exploring experience, philosophy, art science and more through Anubhava. Namaste.